2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. For toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 9. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And Crossway, would you please keep your place here at this passage? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, very much uh, looking forward to looking at this part of God's Word with you. As I mentioned on the email last night, if you got that, this is a standalone sermon. Obviously, our our main focus has been the book of Romans. So where does this come from this morning? Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, for one thing, uh, we looked very briefly uh, at just two verses on Wednesday night. We're doing a study on Wednesday nights this summer on money, debt, and finances. Money, debt, and finances. So uh, just very briefly on Wednesday night, we looked at verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. But the unit here, uh, which I want to look at the larger paragraph, uh, the larger section, the larger unit, and that is 2 Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. And so significantly more uh, in depth than what we did the other night. Also, uh, this has been a passage that I've just noticed, uh, never really studied in order to to preach until just now, but have been thinking about uh, actually for for years that we would look at this passage, and and now now here we are. And it was a joy this week to, uh, to learn a lot myself, and we learn for the sake of transformation and for the sake of the gospel. So I want to, in just a moment, I want to read beginning at verse 1, just a little bit of the context, having already read the main text, uh, which is 6 through 15. The subject this morning, at least on the surface of things, uh, the subject is idleness, idleness, okay? So let's pray together. Join me in prayer. 
take a moment of silence and you pray to the Lord, even now. Pray for me, pray for yourself. Lord, open your word to us this morning. Lord, we plead with you that you would help us through the Holy Spirit. Your blessing. As we think about the uh, John chapter 3 and your sovereign wind, the wind that blows according to your choice, your blessing. If we would have that, if we could have that even this morning would, would be far greater than any of even the best offerings that we could manufacture. So Lord, help us now. Lord, please open our eyes. Would you do your work? Lord, this is your word as James has just reminded us. Help us in this moment for the good of your glory around the world and for our good and growth now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Second Thessalonians 3, 1, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Maybe take note of that verse that you are doing and will do. Verse five, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And then let me read just again the first verse of our section. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. The subject this morning, the uh, presenting subject is that of idleness. So let us see what the Lord would say to us today in his word. First of all, let me just show you, first I want to show you in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, that this is indeed about idleness. Now we're going to need to dig a little bit deeper and we're going to need to see, is this about something else also besides idleness? What else does this teach us this morning? I'm already uh, showing my hand that we're not just merely talking about idleness, but let's start there for just a moment, okay? So verse 6, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is what? Who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in what? Walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Let me say this this morning, Crossway. We live in a fallen world. Idleness and not working 
These are temptations and sins of unbelievers. And these are sins also of believers. Believers who are idle, believers who are idle or who won't work should repent and should get to work for the glory of God, eating their own bread. Churches, churches are called upon by God to separate themselves from fellow members who persist in sloth, in shirking work, in walking in idleness. So do you see, even in what I've said already, today, what we have here, this is a stirring call from the Lord to those who refuse to work. That's one thing. It's a stirring call from the Lord to those who refuse to work. And, and this is a stirring call from the Lord of the church for church members and for church leaders to lovingly, patiently, and wisely practice church discipline when necessary. Now, we've seen briefly, uh, first of all, first of all this morning, we've already noticed briefly uh, this subject of idleness in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, We noticed there in verse 6, verse 7, and in verse 11. And what it is, is it's a bit of an extended discussion, uh, an extended discussion at the end of Paul's second letter to this church in Thessalonica about this subject of idleness. Now, secondly, what I want to do for just a moment is I want to show you that this is not new. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he gives us an extended discussion of idleness, but it's not the first time, okay? So flip back for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 14. First Thessalonians 5:14, "And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all." What's the first thing he says in verse 14? He says, "We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle." You might have a note in your Bible there, could also be translated disorderly or undisciplined." Disorderly or undisciplined. Flip back one chapter to First Thessalonians four. First Thessalonians 4, middle of verse 10. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to what? What does he say there? And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, do you see the word idle there? In 4, in chapter 4, 11 and 12? No, you don't. But that's what he's talking about, right? We urge you, live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, so that you will not be dependent on outsiders or on others. Just to get the context here, notice in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, 
Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So, so do you see that, that when you come, when you come to 2 Thessalonians 3, which of course is the second letter to this church, he gives an extended discussion about idleness. And, and this is not complicated, but because he's already addressed this issue of idleness of those who were unwilling to work in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, obviously he needed to address it still more. He had addressed this issue already in 5.14, admonish the idol. It appears that the idol were idle still. The idol were still idle. And so just be clear on this. Even though 2 Thessalonians 3 today may seem like, wow, this is fairly harsh. Or, I mean, this is not loving. One thing we can say at the very least is, is that's wrong, what I just said. It's not harsh or unloving. But also, this is not the first time at all. You see? This is not the first time. So what have we seen so far? We've seen this issue of church members walking in church members walking in idleness. We've seen it in 1 Thessalonians and we've seen it in 2 Thessalonians. And now I want to ask the question, I want to ask the question, so what? And I want to go through two things, and then I want to ask the question again after those two things. So what? So what? So what, number one, I said there's two things. Number one, no work, no food. No work, no food. If anyone, Paul says to us today, God says to us today, to this gathered body, he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. That's the first, so what? Now let's camp out there for just a second. Now when he says, and of course you're more than free to let your eyes glance down there, verse 10. It's the second part of that verse. First of all, let's ask this question, and let's be clear on this. What's he not saying? Don't, don't say it out loud, but think about it in your mind. What would be something helpful to say? What's he not saying? Well, I think the answer to that, I think there's an importance to this word willing, right? To the word, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In other words... I think what he's not saying in this verse is that clearly there are circumstances at times. There are times when a person is, is able-bodied and for, for various reasons uh, can't, can't work, can't find work. And so he, he's not speaking. In other words, he's not saying, I'm not talking to you in the church of Thessalonica who are actually willing to work and for one reason or another at one particular time are not able to work. You see? No, he's saying if anyone is not willing to work. I don't want to work. 
I prefer being uh, lazy. If anyone is not, if they won't work, you see? So he's not speaking about uh, just a, a terrible economy. He's not speaking about temporary or permanent disability. But he is saying, again, to emphasize that word willing, if anyone is not willing to work, if they won't work, if there is a stubborn refusal to work, then what? Then they have forfeited, they have forfeited any right that they previously had to receive help from the church. Meals from the church? No, that's, that's forfeited because you are not willing to work. Also, not only have they forfeited any previous right they may have had to, to help from the church, but also what this verse says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. This is clearly, this is a way to get them to work. I mean, don't over-spiritualize it, right? If you're hungry, if you need food, then you're going to do something about it, right? That's like Paul says, husbands, uh, you know, love your wives like your own bodies. None of us, uh, you know, is going to be cruel to ourselves unless there's a true disorder there. We are, uh, we're not cruel to ourselves. We love our own bodies. And so what this also involves, no work, no food, it involves implicit built-in instruction, right? Oh, I'm starting to get hungry. I need to eat. Maybe I do need to work. I don't know how much you know about the origins of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, but I learned a, a little bit courtesy of Richard Phillips. He says this, in the 1840s, William Miller began preaching the imminent coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the world. 1840s, William Miller the world's about to be over. Jesus is coming real soon, which he predicted would take place between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. By using newsletters and posters, Miller spread his message to as many as 100,000 adherents. Expecting Jesus to appear at any moment, these Millerites sold their belongings and took to the mountains. That in itself is not a bad thing. I love the mountains waiting for the end. When Jesus did not return on schedule, Miller changed the date and then explained his mistake by remodeling his theology as a Seventh-day Adventist movement. Phillips says this, Miller was mistaken not only about the timing of Christ's return, but also about the response to the soon appearing of Jesus. He was wrong about the timing of Christ's return but maybe even more so, he was wrong about what are you supposed to do in light of Christ's return. Here's the truth, friends. Christ is coming soon. The truth from the New Testament rings out loud and clear. Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. He is coming soon and you must be ready. But the way that you're ready is not by going to the mountains and quitting your job and waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus himself actually teaches us be ready by living your ordinary life, work at your job, fulfill your calling, and look for my coming. Don't do something stupid and crazy. Live your normal life for the glory of God. 
Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. We will, we will serve and we will work in the new heavens and the new earth. Don't be like me. As I, 20 years ago, was in a Bible class at Liberty University and wrongly equated the fall and the curse with work. And didn't I feel a bit like a dope afterwards as professor and the students? Oh, no, 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 no. Amateur mistake, but a common mistake. No, no, no. Work is good. Verse 10 says, no work, no food. If anyone, listen again, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So what, number two? Number two, no work, no food. Number two, keep away from him. Keep away from him. Now listen, this is a unique opportunity in this sermon for us to think about the local church. Because if you love Jesus, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Then you must understand that you cannot separate Jesus from his people. Jesus is for the local church. And so must we be about the local church because we are Jesus people. We are church people. We're local church people. Now, I find something interesting here, and I want you to see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, you may think, and you wouldn't be terrible or, or wrong at all, you may think, well, well, this passage, man, he's got a good word to say, and he's got a strong, good word, and, and sometimes I want to say it to these people too, to people who are walking in idleness, walking in idleness. They, they refuse to work. They're unwilling to work. Man, he's got a clear command for them, and he does. In verses 11 and 12, he's got a clear command in the gathered congregation directly to those unrepentant, sinning church members. But I want, us, I want us to see something. This is interesting. This passage is not, not even primarily. It is about the, the sinner. But I would say that it is primarily to the church, listen to me, to the majority who are not sinning in this way. So do not say, ah, this is good to listen to, but I, I, personally, I don't need a sermon about idleness you know, I'm pretty sure I don't. Well, you may, actually, you might, because we all can be prone to this uh, laziness, but primarily, I would submit to you that of the multiple times that commands are given in this passage, what is the overarching thing? This is primarily not a command to the individual slothful person. This is a command to the believers who are not sinning that they would keep away from him. As we said on Wednesday night briefly, this passage is loving, even if it's not nice in the way we think about nice. In the way we think about nice, it's not maybe nice, but it is loving. Look at verse six. Look at this. Now we command you, brothers, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now be honest. Be honest with verse 12. And let us be honest too as a local church. Many, many churches in our day would look at this and maybe would, would understand it, and, but yet would not necessarily have the will to go there. I mean, really? Keep away from any brother? On the face of it, especially if we're not in tune with Scripture, does that seem loving? Well, maybe he just says it once. I mean, maybe he's going to go on to kind of clarify that. And then you see in verse 14, look at verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Did you notice that? Have nothing to do with him. We need to think God helping us. We need to think in terms of the church and not only about our individual Christian lives not only about me and Jesus, but about the church, the church. And he says here in this passage, not only does he command the sinners, but he commands the church. He says in verse six, I'm giving you a command. You keep away from him. That is loving when done the right way. Oh, to be sure, Paul, if you read his words here, he is not, he is not out to merely just push someone out, to excommunicate someone so that we can flex the muscle so that they'll just feel totally awful. The goal is restoration. The means is love and gentleness. We command you, brothers. Now look at verse six again. Leon Morris says this. He says, Paul's opening here is authoritative. There is a military ring about the two words or about the words he uses. He's talking about, Leon Morris is talking about verse six. He says, verse six, Paul's word is authoritative. He said, there's a military ring about the words he uses. Command, the word command is often used of a general giving orders to his troops. And the word disorderly, which is translated in the ESV as idle, idle or disorderly refers to the failure of a soldier to keep in rank. That's the idea behind verse six, okay? A command where a general would give orders to his troops and disorderly or idle the failure of a soldier to keep in rank. We command you who? Paul's a pastor. Paul's a pastor. We command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It can't get more, you can't ramp it up anymore. As again, as we've said before, this comes with full apostolic authority. This comes with the backing of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, plural, brothers, those who are not sinning in this way, we command you, church, to keep away from them. 
that you keep away from any brother. Notice what does he call him? Not just once in this passage. What does he call him? He said brothers at the beginning of verse 6, and in the middle of verse 6, he says brother, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. And then if you'll just get the flow of the passage when he says, not in accord with the tradition that you received from us, he gives you two aspects of that tradition. Uh, One aspect of the tradition is in verses seven through nine, that's his example. And then in verse 10 was his precept. So verses seven through nine, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Imitate's a key word there. Because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, just as God put Adam in the garden to work and to keep it, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right. Paul, as an apostle, could have, uh, he could have gently demanded that they provide for him apart from working with his hands. But to give you in ourselves an example, there's the word again, right? Imitate. Into verse 9, imitate. Verse 7, imitate. And so that's his example, verses 7 through 9. Hey, we gave you this example when we were there with you. We, verse 10, we continually said to you, if you understand verse 10 correctly, then he's saying, we, we said this to you in the past, we were continually saying it to you, and it very much has present relevance today. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We made that precept very clear, and you saw our lives. We could have taken from you, and that would have been actually very appropriate. But we did it in this particular occasion as an apostolic band, as a missionary team, to set an example for you. And yet, listen, and yet some of you are still living in idleness. Do you see? This is not the first time. Some of you are still walking in idleness. And so therefore, I've already told the leaders and the church to admonish the idol. And now I'm giving an extended discussion. And I'm saying Without using the word exactly, I'm saying you may have to think about, you might have to think about this word, excommunication. So what? Number one, no work, no food, verse 10. Number two, keep away from him, verse six. This passage does address the wayward, verses 11 and 12. But there's a real sense in which it primarily addresses those who are not wayward. Will we obey? Will the church obey? I told you I would ask, so what, two times. So what? So what? Church discipline. Church discipline. What we see today, we see today that a member of the church, please listen to me, a member of the church who persistently closes his ears to warnings and correction about his idleness and his unwillingness to work may ultimately prove to not be a true member of the church at all. 
And on top of that, on top of that, a, a member of the church who persistently, persistently refuses to listen to correction about his unwillingness to work, on top of the fact that he may prove not to be a true member of the church at all, not a Christian at the end of the day, on top of that, brothers and sisters, verses 14 and 15 expand it beyond just idleness. Verse 14 says, if any, no, look at this. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. That he, clearly, Paul's expanding this in verse 14, right? Do you see? He's clearly including idleness, but he says this letter. He's given them doctrine about the second coming in this letter. He's given them teaching about their lives. And that's, that's what the tradition that he passed on, the tradition that the apostles passed on from the Lord Jesus Christ was truth and behavior, you might say. Doctrine and duty. And he says, not just about idleness, I want you to take note of a person. Friends, this is loving. This is what love is in the church. He says, you take note of a person who persistently, persistently doesn't obey. The word of God is given for our obedience. This is the proper response to the word of God for the believer. Obedience. Obedience. There is one response to the word of God, and that is obedience. Now, let me point out something to you here. Now, you may look at verse 15, for example, and you say, well, this, you know, you've got 1 Corinthians 5, which clearly teaches about church discipline, 1 Corinthians 5, and then you've got Matthew 18, which is fundamental about church discipline, but you may say, well, well, this passage seems to be different than those, because even here at the very end, after you've kind of excommunicated the, the persistent, lazy, slothful guy who refuses to work, even at the very end of this unit, Paul says in verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. See that? And of course, it is true that he's been calling him brother throughout this passage. And of course, it is true that he wants the church to deal with any persistent sinner with love and with gentleness and with patience and with the aim of restoration. But I submit to you that verse 15 is not, it's not linear necessarily. It's not here, you do this in verse 14, and then subsequently, this comes next in verse 15. A strong case can be made that verse 15 is the way that you do verse 14. Do you see that? When he, look, look at it in verse 15, when he says, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. I think he's speaking about this is how you carry out. If you need to do excommunication, if you, if you need to discipline in this way for persistent, stubborn, willful sin. I mean, just by the way, let me stop and say sin is real. Don't play with sin. Sin is real and it wreaks havoc in the church. And I submit to you, I think verse 15 is saying this is the way that you deal with it. I don't think this is after everything else, then this. This is how you carry out verse 14. And so I submit to you again, I think he is speaking about excommunication. As I think in one sense is actually really clear. It's actually really clear. 
he bookends this entire packet passage in verses 6 and 14 and 15 with separate yourselves from that person. The call is to the church. Will we obey church discipline? Churches, churches must be willing to discipline members for various kinds of unrepentant sin, including walking in persistent idleness. Churches must be willing to discipline members for various kinds of unrepentant sin, including walking in persistent idleness. Those walking in idleness need to repent and get to work providing for their own bread. And those churches with members walking in persistent idleness need to gently, lovingly, and firmly firmly keep away from them so that they would be ashamed and return in repentance so that they would be ashamed. Not my words. In the verse 14, that he may be ashamed. Church discipline. The goodness of work. The inherent goodness of work. The goodness of helping those in need. I think verse 13 has something to do with the fact, I think verse 13 has to do that we might get impatient if we are going through a process of church discipline and this, if it were, be, if it were to be like this case. Man, this is, why don't they just work? I think we also may read this and we may get jaded and there are real needs. There are, There are poor who genuinely need our help. Do good to all people. Don't neglect to do good to the poor, especially those in the local church. Don't grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Don't become jaded even if some fellow church members are willfully resisting work. There's still a need for you to do good to the poor in the world. That's all over the Bible. That's not done away with in the New Testament, especially to those in the church. Church discipline, the goodness of work, the rightness of helping those in need. How about the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ at the foundation of all of this. Because this passage, although not one of the main passages that talks about church discipline, it speaks about it nonetheless. And in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about that process We never enter into it with guns blazing. No, not at all, but with love and with restoration as the goal. And listen, the purity of the church and the glory of God. The purity of the church and the glory of God. Let that be our heartbeat. And in Matthew 18, he says, if your brother has offended you, you go to him alone. And if he refuses to listen, you take another one. There'll be a witness. And if he refuses to listen even then, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, and there's already been this gracious pleading, brother, brother, come back. Brother, I'm a sinner too. Brother, there's been this gracious pleading. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, you let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You say, man, I can't, I can't do that. Well, of, of course, church, you've already shown your willingness in this regard. We must obey the Lord. We must fear the Lord. 
must be willing to follow every single word of his instruction. The only proper response to the word of God for believers and for the church is obedience. In Matthew 18, he goes on right after the church discipline section and he tells that parable about forgiveness. And he says, Jesus says, if you have been forgiven so, so much, how can you not forgive? Do not, brothers and sisters, do not harbor an unforgiving spirit do not hang on to bitterness and to unforgiveness. If, if in Christ Jesus, through his death on the cross and through his perfect life and his death and his resurrection, if you have been justified, if you have been forgiven so much, if you know that you are a sinner and your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, then we freely forgive. And we come to a passage like this and we say, Lord, we'll obey you if you say keep away from him. And we have love in our hearts and we say, come back, brother. Do you see the cross? Do you see that Jesus laid down his life for us? Do you see he spilled his blood when we had a debt that was infinitely high that we could never, ever, ever pay? Oh, how can we not forgive others if we have received the sweet forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in listening to this sermon. I have one more minute. You've been good listeners. It was a joke. I close with Jim Hamilton. He says this, the opposite of idleness is not necessarily something that gives you a paycheck. The opposite of idleness is not necessarily something that gives you a paycheck. It is possible, after all, to receive a paycheck even though you are basically idle. The kind of work, the kind of work that is the opposite of idleness is a diligent application of your capacities and faculties to the garden in which God has placed you. Let me say that again. This is the positive answer this morning. The kind of work that is the opposite of idleness is a diligent application of your capacities and faculties to the garden in which God has placed you or to helping the gardener to whom God gave you. Or to helping the gardener whom God gave you. I think, of course, he's speaking of husband and wife there. Whether that be your home, your classroom, your workplace or your field, literal or metaphorical field. Let us work to the glory of God and let us rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, would you draw us to yourself? Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Lord God, this morning, we've said it before, but we say it again, grant faith and repentance. Move among us by your Holy Spirit and through your word and by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we would believe, that we would repent of our sin. Lord, lead us as a church that we might behold your glory. Lead us, O God. By your grace, through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.